Military Mom Talk Radio. We know behind every soldier, sailor, airman, and marine is the family supporting them. With over 200 episodes in 17 countries, over five seasons, with three million monthly listeners, we are Radio Strong. Now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Robin Boyd. everybody, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here today with my wonderful co-host, Angela Breidenbach, and we've got an exceptional author to talk to today. We're going to be talking with Tanya Stowe, and she has written a bunch of books. You can go on Amazon, and you can find her book. She's got she's part of the Love at Christmas Inn collection, the Evergreen Wreath. There's the Love at Christmas Inn collection, too, and the one we're going to be talking about today, Mojave Rescue, which is her new book that's out is super fun because it's set in my own neighborhood. So I'm really excited. I love when authors um, put books in my neighborhood because it just gives me a lot to think about when I'm dropping off the kids from school or picking them up at soccer practice. I can imagine this great story happening, you know, in the hills around my house. Now, Without um, introducing Angela Breidenbach, the show would not be as fabulous as it can be. So, Angie, I want you to um, explain all these wonderful things that you do. Your best-selling author, your mom, your grandma, you're the head of Christian, what is it? Christian Authors Network. Can, and right. You can. can do it. You can. Um, so tell us about yourself. You know, a lot of us haven't met you. If you're a regular listener to my show, you'll know that we bring Angie back regularly. Her books are phenomenal. They are on Audible and Amazon. So you're going to want to check her out. Man, you just did a really great job for me right there. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew I remembered all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, um, I have six grown kids and seven grandkids. And we that's six boy cubs and a guppy. And <laughs> And I, I enjoy writing historical romance, historical fiction, and I have branched out into getting my genealogical credentials. So I am adding in some genealogical saga and some genealogical nonfiction and things like that in my newsletters. And you can go to AngelaBreidenbach.com and sign up for either Muse and Writer, which is our feline funnies, um, <laughs> or you can sign up for Angela Breidenbach, the newsletter, and that one will be genealogy, history tidbits, new releases, and things like that. So um, that is me in a nutshell, and I live in Montana. And then I also am a member of Romance Writers of America Faith, Hope, and Love chapter, which is where I got to know our lovely guest today, Tanya Stowe. Ah, Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I have your book right here. It's already dog-eared from Reading on the Airplane. Um, I love a little bit about your history because you have you have quite a unique background, um, I think, especially given the, the type of love-inspired suspense book that you wrote. I, well, it's not a unique background to me, but I guess, uh, are, are you talking about my time overseas or my husband's job or my life here in the Antelope Valley? Which, which <laughs> Take your pick, <laughs> you know, take your pick. Because I think of like, when I first started reading Harlequins, I was a 10-year-old girl living in this farming community called Canandaigua, New York. And we had Mennonites, cows, chickens, and my mom is buried like, up behind our street. So you, both you and Angela, in your romance writing careers have given girls like me the opportunity to travel around the world and see the world through your eyes when we were stuck, you know, sitting on a farm. That's very true. Um, 
I was actually born in the Rocky Mountains and then moved to California when I was uh, about 11 years old. So I grew up on the beach. And then I married my high school sweetheart, and he went into the military, and we were stationed in the desert, which was quite a transition. When we came over the mountains into the desert, I just started crying. And my husband said, honey, you can live with your mom. I'll visit you on the weekends. And I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll live in the desert with you. It'll only be for a while. Um, but 37 years later, we um, finally retired. And he took a new job, and we were sent to the Arabian Desert. <laughs> One desert to another. <laughs> and then when he finally retired for good, we found a, 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 we sold our home and bought a motor home. And we traveled, but we bought a lot in the Sonoran Desert in southern Arizona. So I have had a, quite a bit of um, travel and moving, and I just consider myself a desert rat at this point in time. And... Um, I'm just fortunate that that's what Harlequin loves to to uh, present to their readers is small towns and small town life in, in the United States. And that's been a great adventure for me. I have a question for you, Tanya. In all of your moving, uh, my adult daughter has had to move uh, a little bit more than she wanted to in these last couple of years. And I, I don't know how to give her great tips on making new friends in new places where you go. How, have, how did you build a life where you went each time? What you know, was your beginning steps of that? Um, every time we started in a new place, well, first of all, in our first years, we were with the military, and they always um, create a, a unique environment where you can, uh, you know, touch bases with other people in similar situations. And, and the really wonderful part about that is you meet people from all over the world, not just there. But for the most part... Um, my tool in the other moves has been to connect with the church right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And I tell all of my children who are doing the same thing, find a church and, and uh, put down roots there and make good friends and, and branch out from there. So that's always been my main way to connect is through a church. Now, um, the other way is children's sports. If your children are involved in sports, you're automatically going to have a, a great group of friends that you can draw on and you have something in common through the children. But um, with those two things, there's always a way to, to reach out in your neighborhood and, and put down roots. Well, can I add a third one, the one that I've used, because for many years I moved every two years, um, mm -hmm. is my local library book clubs. There you go. It was really fun for me because I could go to the library, I would meet the ladies there, and then if they didn't have a book club, I'd start one. Right. Oh, that's brilliant. And the writing clubs that I've been able to join to uh, as a member of Romance Writers of America, yet there's been, um, you know, an organization everywhere, at least within a couple hours drive that I could connect and meet ladies. And, um, you know, it's not just the library, but local bookstores have wonderful library groups and book groups and reading groups. And um, I've always managed to be able to put down roots there. That's, that's helped a lot. I love the idea of visiting bookstores and libraries and starting a, a book club if there isn't one or starting one in the genre you want to read, you know, well, because it's a big deal, Angela, because like, you know, when I moved up here, um, you know, I'm not from here. I'm 3000 miles from home and I have, um, you know, I have lots of friends around the world, but I didn't have any here. And one of the things that helped me a lot was this online group called Meetup. 
You could meet up and you could either set your own group or join other groups. And I joined a couple of groups and I really didn't find my way until I found a group of romance readers. And oh my gosh, we shared books, we shared stories, we had so much fun. And, um, you know, it's a perfect time right now since I'm here with two best selling authors to thank our sponsor today. Our sponsor is Audible. And if you're an Amazon Prime member, listen up because for a limited time, you can start an Audible membership and save 66% on your first three months, which is a total of $30 off. That's like getting three months for the price of one. Now you pay just $4.95 a month for the first three months. And after that, it goes up to $14.95 a month. And the offer is valid July 1st through July 31st, 2019. Now, bear with me a minute, ladies, because Audible members get a credit every month good for any audiobook in our store, regardless of the price, and you get two Audible originals, and your unused credits roll over. And if you don't like an audiobook, which will never happen if you get Angela Breidenbach's books, who's our co-host today... She has some books on Audible right now, Eleven Pipers Piping, The Debutante Queen, Taking the Plunge, and A Healing Heart. So if you want to listen to the audiobook of our co-host today, that's awesome. Please go do that because Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, which lets you fill your summers with more stories like A Healing Heart or The Debutante Queen. Now, I want you to visit audible.com slash motherhood, that's M-O-T-H-E-R-H-O-O-D, or text the word motherhood to 500-500 to get started today. So visit audible.com slash motherhood or text motherhood to 500-500 to get started today. So I love audiobooks, you guys. I love them because I can listen to them in the bathtub. I can listen to them in the car. I listen to them while I work out. And um, I think listening at the end of the day helps me a lot because I spend a lot of time working on the computer. I'm by trade um, a tech person, so I spend a lot of time looking at a screen. So to be able to put my, and I have to spell out her name, A-L-E-X-A, <laughs> put the book on A-L-E-X-A because she's sitting right here next to me and she'll start sounding off. Read me a story while I'm deep conditioning my hair or doing my nails or taking my tub time is really a great relief for me. And one of the things that I love most about today's show is I get to visit with two ladies who write the very stories that I listen to. And Tanya, I'd like to talk to you about your book, Mojave Rescue, because it's set where else but in the desert. Yes, it is a very unique setting, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do it. Um, I, I have never read a book set in this area, and it is, um, it's a, an aerospace area. There's a, an, an Air Force base here. We have an amazing amount of... Um, um, wind farms and solar farms and farm farms and it, it's just a very unique area i've never lived anyplace else quite like it so i thought it was time that um, this area in the mojave got its own book i'm so glad because you've got 29 pounds you've got fort irwin you've got edwards air force base i mean you have a significant amount of you know my brother works for jpl we've got Northrop grumman right down the street i mean We've got a lot of people who need the escape that romance novels bring. I mean, Angela, I'm going to throw the mic over to you. Why do you think so many women love your books? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a twist at you. I think women love our books because it gives you a, an escape 
from what you're going through in your daily life. It gives you a sweetness, and it's that sweetness that gives us the twist. We find that a lot of older, retired vets from the military tend to like sweet romance, which really surprised me. But I, I would think that that would be the case, too, with Tanya Stowe's books, because they could even connect more into it with not just the area, but I think with the the sense of intrigue and mystery that goes into it, where my my books are more sweet, Western, frontier, Montana territory, that kind of thing. And Tanya, yours are more contemporary, aren't they? Oh, yes, very much so. In fact, I'm actually uh, finding that... Um, that my stories are appealing to a younger group of, of uh, women who are in want sweet stories. Um, um, my, my heroine's job is an ele- electronic warfare engineer. So she's kind of on the cutting edge of technology right now. And so I was able to incorporate a lot of technology and um, up and coming things that are going on. And so I'm finding quite a number of younger women are interested in what's going on in my stories because of the technology that's involved. See, well, and the and technology think- in mine is trains. <laughs> oh, see, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buzz in here because I'm going to tell you guys a little story about, we're going to go back you know, like 20 years when I first started in technology and I would bring my gear bag and, you know, work in, in the dungeons, you know, with these computers and I would have my romance novels you know, kind of packed in my bag. And then there'd be other, there were a few of us tech girls, mostly it was men at the time, but we would talk about the things we were reading. And then, and this is no disrespect to the heroines of the day, but we would sit around going, they are so dumb. Like they are helpless. They're ridiculous. Like, did you see that she thought this? Like, why didn't she just speak up and ask? And we call those too stupid to live. Right, right. You don't live exactly, and so to have um, have a woman in technology be capable and strong and powerful is really what I was craving twenty years ago, and what I found in your book because I could relate to her. I can't relate to some damsel who's like, "Oh, honey, you need to fix my computer." I'm like, "Get out of my way! I got it covered." Yeah, I'm the one fixing the computer for my husband. <laughs> True story, right? Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very, um, uh, every one of my heroines has to have, um, be in danger, obviously, because it is a suspense novel. And I'm very conscious of making sure that my heroine is as much a part of the um, resolution as the hero. I, I don't have the damsels in distress. And I, I find it interesting that a lot of romance writers are, 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 are hesitant to write, um, particularly in inspirational fiction, are hesitant to write conflict into their stories. Well, if you don't have conflict and you don't have a strong heroine, you, you don't have a story. So um, I, I'm happy to break those boundaries. <laughs> well, and I like that your, your heroine, you know, there is conflict in your book, but because of the nature of it being a love-inspired suspense, where in real life, I don't know if my partner's coming home from overseas. I don't know if these things are going to work out. You know, I'm going through a lot with, you know, my kids in my house right now. I'm refinancing. So I don't know how that's going to turn out. I can pick up your book, Tanya, or your book, Angela, and know everything's going to be okay. As much as you scare me and frustrate me and break my heart, 
<laughs> as long as by page whatever, 206, 215, you wrap it all up nice for me, I'll take my chocolate bar and my Diet Coke and happily buy another. I agree. I think there's a sense of resol resolution that we crave. We want things to work out. Our sense of justice, our sense of uh, needing that closure and things like that are really important. And in the real world, we can't always get that. No. But we also have something unique that we get to do through inspirational fiction. And it's not just um, giving them closure, but through inspirational fiction. And I would say in quite a few other books, whether they're secular you know, or not, but in, in Christian fiction, we often can use relationships mm -hmm. to teach uh, relational skills. And it's done in such a subtle way through the story, you never even know. But there was a long time ago, there was that study that was done about how uh, women actually try things they read in books. Sure. You know? And it was done specifically for romance. But I would say women are the main buyers of books right? Even for men. Uh, we buy books for our men. But when we find out we are wanting to learn, we're wanting relationship, we're wanting things to work out. And I think that when you give them like Tanya's book, where there's, there's just that heart pounding, a little bit of uh, intrigue going on there, um, you know that in the end, it's going to be okay. But along the journey, you pick up some things that might actually work in your real life. Do you, do you do something like that in this book, Tanya? Oh, absolutely. Um, I find for one, of the, one of the unique characteristics of my books that I, I feel strongly about is that not only are they in physical danger, but they're in um, emotional danger. Mm -hmm. they're, um, they're damaged in some way, in some aspect. And there's, you just don't jump from, and, and, and the relationship, even though it's, it's essential to the story because it is a romance, the re relationship is only a part of that healing. Um, for me, in every book I write, there are step-by-step -step movement towards healing. And I find that's in every book I write, regardless of what it's about. I don't just say, oh, you know, there was a miraculous healing overnight, or they just suddenly woke up and they felt better one day. That, that's not what my books are about. My books are about the actual steps to healing, um, spiritual, emotional, and physical. And that's a really big part of all of my books. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I think, you know, that's so critical because um, – you know, for some of us who've been through pretty significant traumas in our life, mm -hmm. and not all of us, like I think a lot of us readers, I'm just going to speak on behalf of readers, readers don't necessarily make the greatest speakers. I had a lot of training to help me get on the radio and to help me do the things that I've done in my career, but it didn't really, this didn't come naturally or organically, and I'm pretty much a conflict-averse person. Mm. And I don't like arguing. And I, I, when somebody yells at me, I freeze. So for me to read these books and borrow your languaging, yeah. I will look at what a character says. I'll look at how she speaks up and how she tries to get her needs met. And you guys have great power as the writers to guide the readers into behaviors that will improve their life. Because quite often a character will say something and I'm like, 
oh, that's just perfect. And I'll literally write it down on an index card and I keep it in my office. And if I can find it, <laughs> you know, I will, but I'll remember it. I'll remember in the situation. Next time this happens to me, I did this with my oldest sister. I'm going to say this and you give me the languaging and I'm going to repeat it and it's going to work. I think that's crucial. And I think it's when we can rehearse something mentally, uh, it can really help us. And there's a, there's a psychologist. Um, well, it's, it's actually a parenting. Uh, so maybe this is, works really well for, for motherhood talk radio today, but um, love and logic parenting. They talk about rehearsing in your mind mm-hmm. things that you know, you need to say for repeatable actions. So when somebody's going to do something over and over and over again, like the kid's going to make the same mistake 13 times. By the time you've seen them do it two or three times, you can rehearse in your head a way to say that differently. And I think that exactly that there's what, tell us what's, what's the trauma, Tanya, that your character's going through in, uh, in your book. In uh, Mojave rescue, uh, the heroine, um, fell in love in college and they broke off very um, unhappily and he joined the military and was killed in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And she felt responsible for that problem. Um, that's the main thing that, you know, she has to overcome her guilt over that situation. Guilt is a big thing that just literally hamstrings people for their life. If they can't figure out how to work through guilt. And did you pull on any particular um, biblical phrase or verse that uh, that you would tell a reader is is one to latch on to to help them overcome guilt. I think it was a slow process with with the heroine. There was a, I can't think of any phrases at this point in time. But it he would, came from a very happy situation and he was constantly reflecting um, how things needed to change and how they could um, how she was caught in this pattern of guilt. Mm-hmm. So it was the relationship was a key factor in helping them to work out their problems. But I always like to throw in a twist at the end. So at the end, all everything that he had been kind of preaching to her, he was guilty of as well. So they worked it out together. So again, that's how the romance <laughs> works in a, a romance, I guess. Well, in a real life romance, like I know you guys are writing, you know, books, but a lot of your writing to me feels real. You know what I mean? Like I read Angela's books. I read, you know, Tanya, I read your book on the airplane um, and it, and it enveloped me in this scenario that I could imagine myself as the heroine sometimes. And sometimes I imagine myself as the hero. You know, I think that's an unwritten rule in here that everybody thinks the women just stay in the women's side, but we really don't. We become in the minds of both characters and we, we grow and change as people with every story that we learn. Yeah. Well, I have to be honest. I have um, four children and um, 21 grandchildren. Wow. <laughs> and they range from age 24 to two this year. And um, as you kind of noted in the beginning, Sandra, I have had some interesting experiences in my lifetime. I married my high school sweetheart and we went off to a multitude of adventures. And I always seem to experience these um, situations and, and 
I share them in my stories. A lot of my experiences are real life experiences and mm -hmm. how we work them out. Um, it's not just um, something I thought of in my head, but how we actually work them out in our lives. In fact, the book I just finished had um, some really touching realities that were that my grandson was dealing with and I asked his permission and said I I need to put this in the book because it's there is that all right with you and he said yes so it will be dedicated to him mm -hmm. so they are real life and they are tools and they are things that we experience and I think we can't help but put that into our books if we're a good writer I think there's a universal need with within just the community of human beings on earth to touch deeply into that richness of life, that richness of being. And I agree with Tanya. I, I do the same things. And I have a book that will be coming out this fall um, called The Bitter at Bride. And that one, um, I didn't understand how to communicate very well at all. I didn't understand how to read people. So instead of having a character who couldn't do that, because I think Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory does that really well. You know? <laughs> I love him. But I... I put her into a situation where she couldn't read. And so the, the literal part of not being able to read versus the relational part of not being able to read people was um, uh, an analogy for me throughout the whole book. And yet you, you can learn these skills, whether it's communication or relationships or, or reading, you know, and how, how do you do that? And I had somebody ask me one time that they only had, because of their learning disability, they only had a third grade reading level. So they were asking for what kinds of books could they start reading on to get better at reading, you know. And I love the fact that you can give them something that is real and, and relationally deep and yet a beautiful way for them to learn the English language. And I, yeah. Well, and that's where my love of audiobooks came because I come, my brothers and I have pretty, my brothers are much worse, but we have pretty significant dyslexia in our house. So mm. it makes certain things a challenge. And, you know, when I was in first grade, they put us on the computer because we could work better creating things on the computer than we could handwriting them. But I'll tell you, when I'm tired at the end of the day, trying to read a book sometimes and the E's are flipping and stuff's doing its thing that, you know, to be able to plug into an audio book is phenomenal because I can still get the story. I can still get the languaging. I can still learn. Um, but it's just, it's just different. And there are times when I'm too frustrated with the audio book because I want to zoom it up faster or I want to <laughs> skip a section. You know, there's, there's benefits to both, but I think, and you know, you guys can, can buzz in on this, um, we learn as women by stories, you know, like when I go to church or I go to, you know, pick up my kid from dance today, there's going to be stories. Moms tell stories, women tell stories, families tell stories. And it's through those stories that we learn our history. And then we also learn our, our, almost our reactions to things, you know, it's amazing the power of a story. So I'm going to ask both of you to dig back to when you were younger. Did you know you wanted to be a writer? Like, was that something like my sisters want to be nurses, they're nurses. My brother wanted to go to the moon. He's a NASA rocket scientist. I never knew what I wanted to do, which is why I'm in my like eighth career. 
Well, I always wanted to write as far back as I can remember. In fact, uh, I wrote my first book when I was 11 because my tele favorite television program ended in a way I didn't like at all. So I just sat down and rewrote the ending how I wanted it. To <laughs> oh, be. I love that. <laughs> That's terrific. Yeah. I Go, Go ahead. ahead. Well, my no, next book was I wanted to be an archaeologist. And so I set, uh, yes. I set a book in um, ancient Egypt and loved that one that was I think I was 12 or 13 and then about the age 14 I realized um, I could actually just write about these things instead of digging in the dirt and decided I wanted to be a writer instead of an archaeologist so that's my story I thought you were going to say you didn't want to be an archaeologist because you're going to be stuck in the desert then the irony <laughs> is exactly. I thought that too I'm accepted the fact that I'm a desert rat, yes, but still, I didn't even think about that back in those days. <laughs> I was at the beach on those days. Yeah, I, ironically, I was born in Las Vegas, so I was born a desert rat, and then was also raised in the Rocky Mountains in Denver, and then now here I live in Montana. But I think, Tanya, we have slightly different places where we've lived, but a lot in common. Isn't that unique? I think so, yes. I've kind of noticed that over time that we have some similar um, similar places to connect. That's really funny. And and right now mine is called a mountain desert. So it's <laughs> <laughs> but I I loved writing. My dad taught me to read and write starting I was like four years old and he had me actually writing alphabets and little sentences and things like that. And so I started writing journaling and little stories and little poems from very very young you know and he'd just give me a notebook and I would just go at it and I try to draw pictures and to this day I can't do much more than a stick picture but I can draw word pictures yes well and you know my latest next career you guys I've had like four of them uh, maybe no let's see I, I taught at USC so I was a college teacher for a while I ran Caldwell Banker Beverly Hills so I was in real estate I can't remember the other ones. I did some things in Israel. I mean, it's just been crazy. But I wonder if I'm supposed to be a writer because I used to tell myself stories to, tell my, to get myself to go to sleep. I always had a lot of anxiety, always had a lot of energy. So if I would tell myself a story beginning to end, I could fall asleep. And um, I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit over to maybe some of the the writers who aren't published yet who are listening today. And, but before I do, I just want to say something to, to you guys. You know how I know I was read, I was truly a desert girl, you know, growing up on the East coast up near the Canadian border, very moist, very lakey, lots of trees and leaves. Um, leaky. I like that. <laughs> lakey, yeah. Lakey. <laughs> I have to work on my adjectives. Um, I had a baby rattlesnake in my house last month. It came in through my garage, in through my laundry room, and I was able to capture it in a waste paper basket, and I drove it up the street, dumped it out because I don't like to kill anything. Well, just like that song, the cat came back the very next day, the rattlesnake came back. It was sitting in the middle of my downstairs bedroom, all coiled up, ready to strike about, you know, maybe a foot, 18 inches long. I have my 88-year-old dad, and I have children and small dogs. Any number of us could... And it's 10 o'clock at night, girls, and I didn't know what to do, so I cornered it under my china cabinet, and I'm like, kid, it's either you or me, and I took marshmallow forks, the long extended, yep, yep. <laughs> and I skewered them, and I got them, and I- and had a barbecue. 
I barbecued him, but we didn't eat him. I blessed him before I killed him. And I said, I'm so sorry, little guy, but you came back. You can't stay here. And I didn't know how he came in the house. So I had to kill him. But I went out to the garbage and I put him, I didn't put him in the garbage can. I put him out on the street because the ravens will eat him. And I thought to myself, okay, I can live here. Good for you. <laughs> that, that is an unfortunate thing about rattlesnakes. They are very territorial, and they will come back. And they oh, will come back. Absolutely. I did not know that. And yes. so I was teasing when I said you barbecued them. Because... No, no, they will come back, most definitely. In our place in southern Arizona, you have to take them miles away because they definitely come back that's you know that's what i learned after to take a miles away not just you know like up the street but look at what you did sandra you were a powerful heroine yes and you know now you have a story you can put into a book (laughs) you know and what i heard you say as a storyteller was that you're a single mom taking care of all these other people and you are trying to protect all these other people and the and animals and, and your, the home that you've created. Can you imagine how many other women out there could relate to that? I and think so. That encouragement? Oh, yes. yeah. That to me is a Yeah. Thank you. And who else would do that? that? would think to skewer a rattlesnake with a marshmallow tongue. <laughs> Two of them. Two of them. Like, ah! I have shovels and been screaming the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I bonked him in the head with a, um, I tried to poke him in the head with a um, broom handle just to knock him out because he was like along the china cabinet back. So I don't know if I knocked him out, but I did bless him and, you know, thank him for his visit before I skewered him. <laughs> So let's talk about the the authors today, the upcoming authors, the women who walk the path behind both of you. What would you say is the most difficult challenge as a young writer? What did you guys face when you first started in your careers? What was the most difficult part? I'm going to go to Angela first and then we'll listen to Tanya. Okay, I'll I'll do mine quickly. Um, you don't know what you're doing. You can't make a living at that. Um, and then I was in a difficult relationship where the person told me that um, if I was making up those kinds of stories, then I must be doing those bad things myself, which I was, of course, not true. And I don't write really bad things. So it was like the things that people put on you that are not true, that you have to overcome yourself on top of your own fears of of achieving a dream. And I would say what helped me was getting educated in the goal oriented things. And then just taking it step by step, going to writers conferences, writing, uh, writing a little bit, showing it to somebody and having them tell me what's missing and what is it that I need to learn. And I made a list of what I needed to learn. And I literally went after it step by step by step. Love that. How about you, Tanya? Um, I would agree with Angie um, that I would take it from a little different perspective since I always wanted to write. That's, you know, I always thought I was born to be a writer, so I never really had to conquer those fears. Other, What, what I had to find was the skills to um, write. I think what's facing um, people today is getting the information about the business itself. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, That was an issue for me as well as learning to actually write fiction. 
you know, when we started, there were not a lot of fiction writing classes out there. Now there right. are out there. And I would recommend fiction writing classes. I would recommend uh, grammar classes um, and business classes because more than anything else, now you are your own business person. Right. And uh, you need to be aware of every facet of your career and how to manage it. And, um, <laughs> you know, the rules are out there for a reason, unless it works. That's a saying that you follow the rules, but if you break them, make sure it's going to work. Um, sure. That's in terms of your writing. So take all the classes that you can have. You can never have too many classes. In fact, I have 21 books and I'm still taking classes and learning new things and, and, um, that gives you the courage to be adventurous in your writing. And um, again, you can only be adventurous if you know the rules and um, break them and it works. <laughs> and I think it's yeah. really crucial that you hear what Tanya said, that this is a business. It's to, so you can do it at hobby level. You can do it just for journaling, for your own joy of writing, and that is fabulous. But it's a business. So when you start the business, Start setting a little bit of money aside so that you have the money to buy the tools you need, so that you have the money to go to conferences, so you have the money to take the classes. And then start with whatever is close and local and make sure that you, there's some, like the agency that I am an, an author with, my agent is, um, is Tamala Hancock-Murray and the Steve Lobby Agency. They have writing courses on that you can purchase, but they also have a blog that is, got years worth of information. The Christian Authors Network has years worth of information. If you want to go indie, the selfpublishingadvice.com, which is part of the uh, Alliance for Independent Authors, years worth of enormous wealth of information to help you be successful as a writer. And, and like Tanya said, you're constantly learning and things are constantly changing. And that's not an excuse for you to get out of not doing it just because something changed. You just keep yourself educated in continuing education through whether it's writing or business or what it is that or, or technology. Well, and I'm going to weigh in on the technology thing because, you know, working with the large publishing houses from the tech standpoint, you know, I've developed social media campaigns for, for authors. I've developed hundreds of websites uh, over the years, over the last 20 years, um, to help, uh, to help authors with their media. And what I found over the years is a shift from the publishing houses taking the majority of the responsibility and shifting it over to the authors. It yes. used to be that I was brought into a project to build a website, to build a campaign, to build an X, Y, and Z. And I reported to the publishing house. And that still happens on occasion, but by and large now it's the advances have dropped a lot, in my opinion, to the author. The onus is put on the author to create the sales tools needed for a sustainable career. Because now what happens is I get authors that are referred to me from the large publishing houses saying, okay, they've got the advance. You know, one of my clients recently got a hundred grand in an advance. And she's like, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I said, no, you're not. You're going to build a web presence. You're going to do X, Y, and Z because you need to, you know, you need to earn back that money. It's not free money. <laughs> they just right. you. And you need to build your email list. So yeah. whatever you're doing online through social media, through, through 
your website through any of the other, whether even if it's audiobooks, ebooks, um, paperback, large print, um, anything, all of it needs to funnel to your email list because you can have a hundred people or a thousand people that are super interested in what you're doing on your email list and you can have 10,000 or a million people on social media and the email list is the one where people will actually be interested in buying your books and being a part of the message that you have to share. Do you have thoughts on that, Tanya? Oh, yes, I would agree with that completely. The only, and add to that, that the email list is the only thing that you personally own because all of the other social media can be changed as we've seen in the last uh, year or two, uh, drastically changed and impact your availability and um, your readership. So you own that newsletter list and the care and feeding of that newsletter list is very important. I would say that was my biggest mistake starting out as an author is that I didn't take uh, the newsletter list advice and I really went heavy hard into social media. If I had to do it again, I would do heavy hard in social media, but I would funnel it into my newsletter list where I could communicate one-on-one with individuals versus having um, all of these different big social media places um, sometimes close down access to people who want to follow. So even if you're following on Facebook page or something like that now, hardly anybody ever sees anything you post. No, but, but I will say something just, you know, I'm going to buzz in for my nerd alert. Mm -hmm. Um, There are ways that you can export. It takes a little finagling, but you can export your email list from Facebook. You can go in and get everybody who's followed you. So if you have 10,000 followers, you know, I have probably 20,000 followers on my radio um, entities. I've gone in and exported those email lists and then transferred them over to my actual physical list. So don't feel that you're, especially on Facebook, that, you know, the work you did is all for naught. It is expensive to get them exported, but if you've built a big community on there like I have, it's worth the effort. That is a brilliant idea. (laughs) See, what would you know? You put a nerd with two writers and look what we get. Well, I think you should do a show on how to export at least a segment in your show, how to do that, because I think that would be very helpful to people who uh, the crucial thing is that when you're starting out, you want to build a relationship connection and newsletter list before your first book comes out. Right. In a perfect world, you know, perfect world. Yes. But I will say, you know, I've had to build author sites, you know, let's, you know, we'll talk tech for a minute here. Um, I have had to build author sites with no book yet. And that's, that's a challenge. Mm hmm. You know, and that's where, you know, like you guys appearing on, on my radio show today and, you know, being willing to show up on podcasts, being willing to, you know, author articles from other, for other blogs, other places, um, even your, you know, I, you know, I've appeared in tons of newspapers and articles. My background, you know, was one of my career lits was a news reporter. And then I also did a lot of ghost work for clients over the years, but being creative, if you don't have a book yet and you put your author site up, requires some pretty significant creativity. And, um, you know, that's one of the things my tech company has hung its hat on is how to create something out of nothing. But you're really not nothing. It's how you position it. 
And your tech company is Beck Media, correct? Yeah, Beck Multimedia. And it produces radio, produces websites. And I also have a tech company called Motherhood Incorporated that employs moms to work from home in the tech fields because not all of us have to be in a traditional office. And so there's lots of support work we do. Um, we, we edit, we, we write, we create. Um, but make no mistake, if you're a new writer starting out, there are people out there that can help you with the tech aspect of it. Cause you really don't think about that. You think about, Oh, well, I'm going to write my book and I'm going to think about story and structure and plot and arc. And then what about the promotion aspect? Right. Yeah. One of my favorite tools is uh, lately, cause I always have different favorite tools is Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y. Oh, so it. I can learn something new. I never buy at full price. I always wait for the newsletter that's going to tell me when they're on sale. Okay. So can I tell you like my greatest, like you to me and they're going to hate me. They're not a sponsor. So I can go <laughs> ahead and say this black Friday. Yes. Black Friday. They had all these $9 and 99 cent. I got Reiki. I got Scrivener. I got, I mean, hundreds of hours of education. I've been working through it. We're only in June and I'm only about a quarter way through. Yeah. I took a dream class, like everything I wanted to ever learn about Black Friday deals, $9.99 just load up the cart. I did the same thing right after the first of the year, and then I sent it through to our Faith, Hope, and Love chapter of Romance Writers of America to say, hey, I just bought $120 worth of glasses, but their classes are normally $120 or $240. Or so, even more than that. Yeah. So I for $9, 10 and $11, depending on the class. Tanya, what's some of your favorite uh, educational tools? Well, I actually got that um news blast that you sent out across that and um, ordered some classes myself from Udemy, uh, which brings up my major um, thing that I would uh, recommend is networking. If you can join an organization like Romance Writers of America or American Christian Fiction Writers or a local writers group Mm -hmm. and get on the multitude of blogs and listen to podcasts, networking is one of your most valuable tools and education systems because... uh, we're uh, because we have to do so much um, uh, PR work for ourselves and marketing for ourselves. We're a pretty adept and um, in the know group, and we share. So uh, get involved, that's for sure. And mentoring people who are are coming up the ranks um, is always a, a great thing to do. And you can always be mentored too by someone who's just a little bit ahead of the uh, career curve than you are. So networking is essential. Love that. Okay, you girls, I have to wrap it up for today. Um, for those of you that would like to support the show and support our sponsor, visit audible.com slash motherhood or text motherhood to 500, 500 to get that Amazon prime member, that audible membership to get 66% off your first three months, a total of $30 off. You're going to want to purchase 11 Piper's piping, the debutante cream, taking the punch, a healing heart. Those are all of Angela's books. And for you readers out there, we're going to go to the evergreen wreath following stars leap of faith that doggone baby mojave rescue was the book that we talked about today you're not going to be disappointed tanya kept me company on my last red eye to new york and i loved every minute of it we'll be back again next week with another great show
thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, MilitaryMomTalkRadio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.